0: My name is Jacob Stoops.
1: And I'm Jeff Luella.
0: And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast.
1: This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry.
0: We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this week's episode, we talk to Mark Alves, SEO manager at GMMB. We discuss his beginnings growing up as a beach kid in Massachusetts, going to college for political science, and his first parade into digital marketing and SEO while experimenting on his wife's church website in the 90s. From there, we talk about his time working as a jack-of-all-trades at Freddie Mac, his time doing freelance consulting, what it was like to do SEO for ThinkGeek, and how he transitioned into agency SEO. For our core topic, we focus on doing SEO and analytics for nonprofits, as well as the issue of ageism within the search industry. Finally, we wrap the episode by answering our Twitter questions of the week. We had a ton and selecting the winner of a page two podcast t-shirt. So get your popcorn ready as we share Mark's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. everybody. This is Jacob Stoops, uh, director of SEO at Search Discovery. We are back for episode 60. Yes, and that is Mr. Jeff Luella, senior technical SEO at the Wirecutter, division of the New York Times. Uh, And if you've been anxiously paying attention to uh, my title at the beginning uh, of each of our episodes you're gonna notice that actually that was a little bit of a change so that means that uh, that I got promoted so some idiot at search discovery saw fit to promote to promote this idiot uh, and now this idiot is is running a lot of the SEO work uh, I was running it before but now I'm running it with an even better title so well earned there's that thanks Jeff I appreciate that yeah, it's not something I've really like talked about too publicly. I'm not into a super, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like everybody loves a little bit of, uh, of publicity and uh, you know, some pats on the back. Those always feel good, but it's not necessarily my main thing. So I low key made my job title change in LinkedIn in early January. And you do have the option to let your followers know. And I was like, no, thank you. I'll just be low key about it. Uh, and made the slight tweak to my Twitter bio. And that was actually the only thing that I've uh, really done That's been forward facing, but I'm now a director. So, so there you, <laughs> there you go. Good job. Uh, good job. Good job, Jake. Um, so, Jeff, how were your holidays?
1: They were great. Um, took a lot of time off. Uh, I was off like every Monday and Friday in December instead of taking it all off at the end of the year. But then at the end of the year most people took off from my work anyway. <laughs> so it was very quiet those days there. Um, so I feel like I, you know, when I went back to work on Monday full time, it's, it was a little bit of an adjustment to get back to. So, but it, but like, uh, any new company where you're, or any company where you're looking at Q1 planning or H1 planning, uh, we do everything by halves where we're at. So we have H1 and, um, Yeah, we've just been full swing. Let's get into it. (laughs) So we started off with, you know, the the pedal to the metal and uh, you're ready to get ready. Uh, We we had a killer last year. Um, Literally, like when you're talking like thousands of percent up, it's it's ridiculous. So I don't know how to plan for this year because when we say like, hey, we could do 20% increases, like that doesn't sound as cool as like a thousand percent.
0: <laughs> yeah, but nobody ever nobody ever predicts to do a thousand percent increase right so. no
1: we we did not so we're we're trying to like tamper it down a little bit and say like hey we're gonna we're gonna do um you know honest work I and mean, we everything was honest before, but like come up with honest numbers and if we hit a thousand percent, then uh I mean, hopefully we'll all be rich.
0: So, Jeff, you're going to find this this funny, and I, I want to introduce our guest, uh, who is patiently waiting in the wings for us to get done with our, our banter. Uh, I was listening to an, an episode uh, from about a year and a half ago, uh, uh, and basically, the, the funny thing about the episode, it was one of your first episodes, and I noticed you didn't say, hey, howdy, hey there, but you were saying, hey, howdy, hey, and we didn't really recognize it then uh actually we might have but you've been saying hey howdy hey pretty much since the the beginning and you didn't say it there jeff what's what's going on
1: there i apologize hey howdy hey <laughs>
0: Oh, Jeff. The Al, Al <laughs> Borland of the Page Two podcast. I, it's just that now that's a running a running thing. But you were definitely saying it as early as a year and a half ago. And it made me laugh when I listened to uh, <laughs> to the old episode, which I actually don't really do. I don't know. Do you by chance, Do you go back and listen to any of the old episodes? Not at all. I know it's weird I I go through the process (laughs) of you know we're creating all of this content there's literally uh now you know 60 or 70 hours of us talking out there on the internet and I pretty rarely have the desire to go back and listen to myself
1: yeah no it's one of those where you know I listen to so many different podcasts too and it's it's like I feel like I've already heard this one
0: yeah you you (laughs) lived it You lifted. Not only that, but like my my voice, which for me it sounds normal when it's coming out. When I go back and listen to it, I sound like such such an idiot. So I can't imagine what other people might think. I listen Uh, to it every week. (laughs) Anyways, so (laughs) we have a very special guest. We made it another stretch of 10 episodes. We are at episode tix, uh, not 60, uh, and we are chugging along uh, to the end. The end of this season is actually going to be 75, so we are coming up close to halfway done uh, with season season three. And our guest today is uh, Mr., Mr. Mark Alves. Uh, yes, and Mark, I, I just wanted to say thank you for, and we were talking about this ahead of time, thank you for sending the correct pronunciation. Uh, and and I feel like I, I kind of nailed it.
2: You did. You did a great job. I thought oh. I had come up with the best way to explain how to say my name by saying it rhymes with valves. Oh, that It doesn't helps. have a V, but we did that at my son's graduation. And instead of saying... Sam Alves. They said Sam Valves with a V at the beginning, so I'm continuing to explore ways to make my name easier <laughs> to pronounce. Oh
0: my goodness. Uh, so Mark is an SEO manager at GMMB. Uh, what does actually GMMB stand for, Mark?
2: Um, it's named after the, it's the initials of the uh, principals who founded the company, but now it's officially GMMB. And I will add, I am here as a private citizen.
0: Okay, private, yes, private citizen. His views do not necessarily represent the views of the of the company. That's uh, right. And yeah, I'm sure that I, I, Jeff. I don't know like how your company feels about you doing a podcast. Uh, I don't actually know how much about how my company feels about doing the the podcast because yes. I do curse quite often. I can't imagine that they would be a,
2: you know, a major fan. director.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, they made me a director. So, and I, I, that maybe that doesn't, I don't necessarily know if that means they listen to me blather on about SEO every week, but uh, maybe they just haven't, maybe they just haven't heard all of my, all of my cussing. Oh, uh, I bet
2: we, the
1: podcast helped. You think? I don't know. Visibility, I
2: don't know. expertise.
1: And then, ah, I know we have a department. So if I, you know, go to a speaking engagement, they'll review my deck for me and, and things like that. Um, I haven't used them yet, but I know that that is available. Um, I think they kind of want to make sure you're not giving away the secret sauce at the same time. So, But the good news is that I'm working in-house. I don't have clients, so I don't like have to worry about slipping up on a client (laughs) and and exposing them. I just have to make sure I don't give specific numbers, and I think I'm all right.
0: Yeah, but you did say a gazillion percent up, so now your competitors know how well you're doing, Jeff.
1: Yeah, well, they might be up, too.
0: Yeah, so it, the funny thing is we were recently called Guru Tards, so I think the fact that I do an SEO podcast is not necessarily an indication that I know what I'm talking about, but I'll let everybody on the outside be, a, be, the, judge of, be the judge of that. My clients seem happy, uh, but that's okay. Uh, so before we get to Mark's background, as I'm sure some of my regular listeners know, we've been doing uh, a live read for an organization that is very near and dear to our hearts, and we're definitely going to continue that throughout uh, throughout season three. So here we go. Uh, are you looking to break into SEO conference speaking, but not sure how? Are you feeling that you are not well represented within the current SEO speaking circuit and want to change that? We at the Page Two podcast would like to take the opportunity to let users know about United Search, a new organization and first of its kind SEO speaker accelerator dedicated to ending the implicit bias in SEO that keeps BIPOC, LBGTQIA, and women in the margins of our industry. Their credo, diverse SEO equals better SEO. United Search offers mentoring advice from people with real-world practical SEO experiences in order to give students the skills they need to be able to deliver an amazing presentation on any stage and the network they need to land gigs, all at no cost to the student. How does this work? Pretty uh, Pretty simple. United Search connects a cohort of the best pitches they can source with the top mentors in their subject matter. After working with their mentors to develop their talk, they will host a live stream event where students get to present to SEO experts and receive positive constructive feedback graduates of this SEO accelerator will get the benefit of top-notch mentorship, public speaking training, a video reel, lots of positive feedback, as well as a foot in the door to help find and land speaking gigs and access to an amazing community of SEO professionals. What does this mean for our podcast? Well, as a sponsor and advocate, we're committing to regularly showing stats that illustrate our commitment to diversity on this podcast. And we've made a pledge to diversify, meaning that 60% of our guests will come from underrepresented groups, underrepresented groups, I can't say underrepresented groups, including women, BIPOC, BAME, LGTBQIA+, as well as representation for people with disabilities and those who are 55 plus and older. If this sounds of interest to you, visit unitedsearch.org to learn more about becoming a student or mentor or visit them on Twitter at search underscore united. Jeff, I think my radio deal is out the window. You just really, got demoted. Man, yeah. i really, at work, really demoted in the
1: radio industry.
0: Demotion. All right. (laughs) All right. All right. So we did our good deed. We definitely celebrate uh, diversity, and uh, when we get kind of to the halfway point, uh, we will go back and kind of review and publish uh, some statistics as it relates to our podcast. That's definitely kind of a huge focus, and we want to make sure that, uh, you know, within our industry, there is fair and equal representation. That's always been very important. It is something that we're speaking up more about as we've gotten into seasons two and three. Uh, But it has been something that behind the scenes has has been an important thing for us and something that we believe in. All right. So, uh, Mark, you know the drill. Uh, Let's uh, talk about your origin stories. So, who are you, Mark? So, uh, you know, for our listeners and, uh, you know, tell us how you, you know, went through your career and how you eventually got to to SEO.
2: Okay, great. Well, I'm Mark Alves. I grew up I was a Portuguese kid, son of two teachers, grew up in a beach town in Massachusetts. That was in the preppy handbook, and I tried so hard to be a preppy, but I just couldn't compete with the with the families that actually had boats and and that whole lifestyle. And I think through my life I'm sort of realizing it now. I've often focused on trying to Chase what I think I should be doing instead of what I want to be doing. So growing up, I was a nerdy kid, played Dungeons and Dragons, did a little bit of basic programming. And I don't mean rudimentary programming. I mean the language basic, which is what was available um, at school at that time. Went off to college to study economics in political science, which ended up being good preparation, actually, for a later career in SEO. Graduated and didn't have a job or a car. So I figured Washington DC would be a good place because at the time there was a great subway system and so I could get around. And from there, first job was, um, it was almost like another year of college at this research firm. Then I went to a law firm and it was more technical. And I found myself in my career kind of going back between the creative and the technical. Went to Freddie Mac. And I was there for like a dozen years and probably had a few careers there. So started off as a mainframe SaaS programmer and then working on an algorithm for for underwriting, which um, Freddie Mac buys loans from banks and the banks agree to underwrite the loans to Freddie Mac's requirements. So we were trying to come up with an algorithm when we were sampling loans to ideally only sample the bad ones. And then from there, I went to, uh, they were rolling out automated underwriting. So using algorithms to automatically underwrite the loans. So I wanted to do something more creative than the number crunching side. So joined the marketing communications team there. And then I kind of went back and forth at Freddie Mac and um, everything from speech writing and employee communications to web analytics, um, website updates, usability, that sort of thing. From there, I went to do more SEO and PPC at a tech company, then went on to SEO and website development and various types of marketing at a trade association that I was at for several years. Um, My position was eliminated, so I started looking for a job. And while I was finding a job, I found I ended up getting offers to consult. So someone would say, well, we're not quite sure what we want to hire for a role. Would you consult for a few months? Okay. And once I started calling myself a consultant, it got easier to get other um, other roles, either consulting or job interviews, networking, that one much easier when I said it was a consultant. And then I got to work at Think Geek, the late great, uh, mostly online retailer. If you ever want to get like Chewbacca slippers or a pizza cutter that was shaped like the USS Enterprise. Um, uh, You would get it from there. So that was a blast and then eventually ended up at the uh, agency I'm at right now. Um, And there I'm focused on SEO and analytics. And and I love it. So so going back to Mm -hmm. your beginnings
0: just in some of our our prep work even before kind of your role at um Freddie Mac you had mentioned uh starting in this is I I believe in between kind of your your college time and when you kind of got your first full-time SEO role you started as a as a volunteer tinkering tinkering around with your wife's uh church website is that correct
2: um well my wife um so the scene is it's the Uh, mid-90s Clinton administration. Um, I'm a newlywed, and my bride is taking an MBA class at night. And so she comes home one time, and she was working on this group project. And I think she was doing the presenting and, and writing some of that content. And then she said, oh, and then my teammates are working on this website. So she opens the laptop, which is this ancient, well, it was it was new at the time, but, you know, picture a 750 meg, not even a gig hard drive. And it was this rudimentary website. And she's like, yeah, we've got the topics up here. And then you click on this link and then it takes you down to the section. And then the marketing communications person, he was like, wow, this is awesome. And it's funny. I was talking about this story with my wife recently and she has no memory of this. But obviously it clicked figuratively and literally with me. And I was like, oh, I got to do more of this. So I talked to my buddy Larry, and he was starting to get into web development. So we were involved with the church group, a young adults group um, at our church, where we happened to meet our wives, as it turned out. And we were like, okay, well, we should start. We had a paper calendar. We should put this online. And at the time, your email provider would give you some, some free server space. So we kind of built a rudimentary website for the young adults group. And then we convinced our parish to start a church website. So I think in 97, we started preparing and then we launched in 1998. And that's kind of where I got into SEO. You launch a website. Well, then you want to look at your stats, who's coming in. Well, how are they getting there? And I was especially into usability. And that ended up being a great preparation for for SEO. But managing a team of volunteers gave me a lot of life life lessons to um, hire or pick the volunteer based on passion, not necessarily skills. Because someone who was passionate about learning would go out and and do more. Someone who has skills and shows up as a volunteer, they're not always going to chase down what they need to be done. So we'd have designers to say, oh, I can help. Um, And would say, well, can you go to this meeting or get some info about this? And it's in their spare time. They just wanted to design someone who was passionate about the homeless, say, and they were already going to the homeless meetings. They would take that extra step to learn HTML or how to edit a picture or whatever they needed to do there. So that really gave me a taste of of web development, running a website. And it turned out we actually had a good information architecture and we were careful about titles and things like that. And I got thousands of of um, views a month, and, and it was well-designed. So at the same time, over at Freddie Mac, I got um, assigned to this meeting that I didn't really know anything about. So I pop in, and there's this woman there, and they said, oh, we're going to work with this consultant. And her name was Jenny Reddish, and I didn't know who the heck she was. It turns out she's one of the founding mothers of usability. And if you were going to make a Mount Rushmore of... Usability, she would be on there first, no questions asked. But I was just like, oh, okay, what's, what's this meeting about? And we started doing some usability tests. I remember her firing up Netscape, and I was just like, oh, this is so, so cool. You can get instant feedback. And for me, it was that combination of creative and technical that hit that sweet spot for me instead of having to alternate between both. Well, I can be a programmer. No, I'm going to write fact sheets Now I could do both with, with the web and usability, which ended up leading to SEO. And I think you touched on um, an
0: interesting, an interesting kind of sideways point, uh, sideways tangent that we're going to go down a little bit. Um, So you had mentioned working with volunteers and some people having the passion to go above and beyond and you know, others, you know, it's just a job, right? Or it's just a volunteer gig. Um, you know, as somebody that's trying to construct a team, I feel like that's a really applicable case for if you're somebody out there and you're running an SEO team, or if you're running any team. How do you identify people that are going to come to work and it's just a job to them versus people that it's a passion and and it's they're gonna they're gonna go above and beyond. How do you how do you know? difference?
2: When I've interviewed people, I look at it as they have to be um, ready, willing, and able. So able, can they do the job? You can usually figure that out from their resume and their background. Willing, are they willing to do the job? And that's where the distinction is. So there's a lot of skills someone has and they can do it, but are they really willing to do it? And I think of a, a guy I worked with And we were interviewing for an email marketing position. And we interviewed a lot of people who were able to do the job. They had done email marketing and a bunch of other things. And you got the impression they'd rather do a lot of other things, but they could do email, so they were going to do it. When we interviewed this guy, I looked at his background. He had an email marketing blog, and he talked about email marketing. And his contact form was a lead capture form, and it even said that on it hey, I'm an email guy, of course, it's going to be lead capture. So I knew he was able to do it, and I knew he was willing, one, to do it. And then the ready is, are you ready to work with this person? And that's where I think people get into trouble with, in terms of diversity, when people say, oh, it's going to be a cultural fit. Is the person like me? Well, do you need another one of you, or do you need someone who's going to challenge you? But I think it comes down to, do they have that? Um, Are they willing to do it? Are they hungry? That that's what they're passionate about, whether they've already done it or they want to learn. So
1: you worked at ThinkGeek, which I used to use as one of my like, this is how you should have a product page, right? It was funny. There was a lot of content. Mm-hmm. There was video. There was a lot of like quirky products. Um, I won't get into how GameStop bought them and destroyed them um, because they, you know, whatever they did to them. It doesn't exist anymore. I think I just typed in... I won't disagree think, with you. I typed in thinkgeek.com and it brought me to a broken page on uh, GameStop just now. So that's how much they really cared about that acquisition. <laughs> um, but it... But, at that time, like, it, it was one of those sites that had a ton of just, like, great content. And, and, and it seemed like a really, like, vibey company that was just, like, fu- It's kind of like when Woot first came out. Like, it was just, like, Woot was, like, this fun website with a product a day. And then Amazon bought it and I think made it less fun. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, what was it like working at a company like Geek? It
2: was a blast. I loved it. <laughs> and it really changed, I think, my career goals. Because I was always thinking, well, um, I've run websites as a manager, a director should be the next thing, and and when I applied for that job, it was um, it was just for SEO, and it really rekindled that. Mm-hmm. Wow, I would love just doing that, but it, it was a blast. You walk into the bathroom, and someone's recreated the Photoshop. Um, navigation bar and have it taped up along the mirror. So you look in the mirror, like, oh, I'm going to touch up myself. <laughs> you know, there was one section that was all star Wars stuff. Everyone brought their dogs in and it wasn't, you know, one day a year for bring your dog to work day. It was just routine. And yeah. people were truly geeks, love the products, use the products, whether you were in, whether you're in it or marketing PR, whatever you are doing, people were really into yeah. it. And all the gear was everywhere. And there was a table that was where they put the returns or broken items or uh, things like that. And fortunately, I was sitting near there, so you could always, you try to be first to to grab something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got my Game of Thor- uh, Thrones um, iPad holder. Uh, we had a, um, uh, for a while, we had in our car, it fits in a cup holder, and it was a, it was a charger. And when you started up the car, it was a Darth Vader head and and lightsaber, and they could hear the breathing when you started in there. Awesome. just all sorts of stuff. So it was a blast. People lived the mission, loved it, and it wasn't it wasn't an act. And I know a lot of people would cite their their content of here's how you live out a brand, mm-hmm. and they really did the um the retail online retail space is just real difficult and it's tough to compete against amazon it, it
1: totally is um and i but i think i think he gave their customers something unique right so that and that, that experience of it um i just remember i bought one product from there that was uh, i think it was called the annoyatron oh yeah classic and it was like it was like something you stuck under someone's desk and it would just beep random like throughout the day and you would just like see the person in their office like you would just beep and then you would just like (laughs) that was a fun time you just because it was so small you couldn't see it it just annoyed people because it it wasn't even like it would beep every 20 minutes it would go like one time it would be every like four hours or then it would go to like 10 minutes and then it would do all these different things and just
2: annoy people right yeah that was when they (laughs) closed down or moved into GameStop I remember I think it was a comedian some celebrity had this epic Twitter thread about the Annoyatron and how they'd used it on his boss and he couldn't figure out what was going in. So he ended up switching offices and I think it was attached to his desk and it was still happening and <laughs> it was just epic the, the uh, how they they drove him to madness. Yeah, it's great. It, it was a great place. One of my proudest moments was we were coming up on April Fool's Day and so the whole company, everyone submits ideas for fake products and um, I got the one that year that had the highest internal vote, um, uh, count. So it was, Great. you know, 23 and me, you get your yeah. DNA in that. So I said, well, let's do one for, um, for D and, uh, for D, and D you spit in a cup and, and you get your stats, what your strength is, what your intelligence charisma is. <laughs> um, so they ended up calling it 46 and me, you know, in honor of the dice. And then, um, Uh, They did a video for it. And so that was a lot of fun. But just being with a group of people who, um, in a positive way, encouraged. uh, You want to outdo each other with creativity, but in a supportive way. And it was always, oh, that's great. Oh, we could do this. It was truly the um, yes and and not. No, but we can't do that. It was was a great experience. So, Mark, you worked at Freddie Mac for...
0: Quite a long time. Is it accurate to say that you were there during the the financial crisis? And I think it was two thousand eight. Were you the, Were you there at that um, time?
2: Uh, I was there at the start of the financial crisis when they when they gave them an exemption from reporting earnings. While well, they tried to sort out the books. Now, in their defense, the accounting board had changed the rules, and they only applied to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. But anyway, you need to be able to report on your books. So I was there when we had, when we went through a few different CEOs and presidents. Um, uh, you know, within a couple of years, we had a few. So I often got pulled into the big projects. So I got pulled into employee communications because it was all hands on deck, and that's why I ended up leaving because I really wanted to do online marketing. But I was there for that, and it, it was a tough it was a tough time when I first joined there. Uh, they were just printing money and the economy was good and innovative products and coming up with ways to loan to people that traditionally weren't served. For example, the rules used to be, um, instead of checking your credit, the C stood for character. So you can imagine how well that went. Um, you know, oh, Jacob, come into my office. Oh, let me look at you. And um, you're applying for a loan. Do you have the character to handle a loan? And I see your skin color is different than my, you know, it's just absurd. So automated underwriting, you could do a credit history. And then we found things like, um, it used to be you had to have a steady steady job for two years. Well, what if you work construction and you always get laid off in the winter when the construction jobs are on hold? It turns out, once we looked at the data, the person who had multiple jobs, but would do anything to work, work construction in the summer, work, you know, another, difficult job in the winter or multiple jobs, that person was much less of a credit risk than just the arbitrary, well, everyone I know who's had jobs for five years, that must, that should be the standard. Um, I was there during Y2K, so um, uh, I don't know if the audience remembers Y2K when we thought everything was gonna blow up. Well, when I first started at, Freddie Mac actually wrote non-Y2K compliant code because the years were two digits instead of four. Um, but January 1st, 2000, I actually had to drive into the Freddie Mac headquarters with my binder in hand that had a printout of everyone's phone numbers and what to do if, if everything blew up. And then I actually updated the single family section of the website to say, once I checked in, that everything was still running, nothing to worry about. A couple of years later, there were some things to worry about. But at that point, but at that point we didn't have to. So
0: now you're... You're at an agency, uh, and you have had um, experience as a volunteer, experience as an in-house, experience as a freelance, and now experience at, at an agency. Usually, it's either agency or in-house. Uh, so, which of those would you rate as your favorite?
2: Right. It's funny because it, I did my career completely backwards, and I've seen a lot of times people say, oh, well, you start off an agency, learn everything, and then go in-house and on your own. So here I am doing it backwards. Uh, I love what I'm doing now. If, although Think Geek came back from the dead, um, it was such an it was such a fun environment. That would be that would be hard to resist. But I love what I'm doing now, and I'm uh, working big clients, great causes, and they're treated well. And there's always new things to learn, and you can make a Big difference. And a lot of times our clients are coming to us either directly or they got a grant to work with us and we're helping them realize they need the help and they can go forward. So I know, I know a lot of times consultants struggle with, I did all this work and did, this, did my work just sit on the table uh, or report somewhere that's never looked at, at again. Sometimes that happens, but a lot of times, especially if we're working on the websites for them, we can implement it. So... I love the balance. I was mostly remote even before our whole office went remote for COVID. So that made a big difference. I've had three teenage boys and being able to balance that. But I I love being able to work with um, good causes that I wouldn't have a chance to for the most part otherwise. In fact, I had a boss once. We were doing this exercise, team building. And he said, okay, if you won Powerball or whatever, what would you do? And this was at Freddie Mac. And I remember saying, well... I'd want to do some sort of creative philanthropy and start my own agency where I don't really charge much. I just work with nonprofits that I care about. And he kind of chuckled. He said, oh, of course, you'd say creative. And then now I'm almost doing that. But, you know, working with some great nonprofits and associations. So it's been a great balance balance for me.
0: So. That and that's actually uh, almost a good segue. I got maybe one or two more questions uh, I want to ask, kind of about your your background before we jump into the, to today's core episode topic, which is going to be around doing SEO and analytics for uh, for nonprofits and associations. And in addition, we are going to uh, cover uh, age uh, and SEO as kind of a kind of a topic before we dive into Twitter questions, but. Wanted to ask kind of a two-parted question, and then we'll dive into the into the next section. So, what do you feel like have been your greatest successes and accomplishments? And the flip side of that would be failure. Uh, and, and you know, if you've had a failure, kind of how do you feel like you you responded to that?
2: Well, I'll start with the failures because those fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was messing with the DNN settings. Uh, once and brought down a whole website. So um, that's almost as big a fail as you, as you can get. get I guess not Ooh. getting it back up. That's like making me day, sweat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was bad. But my boss um, was understanding and, and we worked it out. And then um, uh, other failures, I think, have been failing to manage up, especially when in-house. So I've had situations where sites were relaunching and then I realized I didn't make a good enough case about we need time to do redirects or what the value is of the link equity we've we've built up and then just having a lot of that wiped out and of course it was obvious to me I didn't make it obvious enough um to bosses or to other people so that's a failure on my part really quickly um you know,
0: what do you feel like you've learned from that that you could translate to other people? Because we're all in situations like that. Um, and from your experience having gone through that,
2: what would you have done differently? Well, there's one thing I did differently. So there was one time uh, when we lost some of those, we lost some of that link equity. And we were doing a relaunch with multiple departments. And there ended up being, it was clear that launching the new CMS and a CRM at the heart at the same time, when each side needed some more time was going to be disastrous, but IT didn't want to blink first, marketing didn't. And we kind of went off this cliff that could have been avoidable. So what I learned from that was, you kind of have to set these turnaround points ahead of time and not when egos are on the line or it's too late or a date's been promised. So the next relaunch said, okay, As we're getting ready for it, what do we need in place at these different steps? Um, What would we have to, what, if we were missing this in place, if this wasn't in place, would we pull the plug on this? What are the must-haves before it gets too close to, like, well, we promised we got to go. And then what we're able to do is say, okay, we got to buy some more time. Remember when we agreed in writing that here are the different measures we need to meet. And so we ended up being able to buy some more time on the next launch. So it's not always easy to do, but trying to, before the pressure's on, say, oh, okay, here are the checkpoints that we need to reach. And if we don't reach it, what are we going to delay? And that's ended up working. Then we said, oh, okay, um, we're not going to launch with this one component because something had to give and we agreed it would be this. And I found over the years, usually... Usability and testing is what ends up getting dropped at the last minute. But if you're going to be committed to that, you got to find something else to drop. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that's a, that's great advice. Uh, Extending the runway for yourself, so to speak. I've found it. Um, I've been a part of really good replatforms and a part of ones that went right off the, right off the rails, just like right off the cliff, so to speak, just like you had talked about. And one of the big differences, um, for me in terms of successful versus non-successful is in almost every case, successful ones were willing to be realistic and not set arbitrary launch dates based in in a lot of times on nothing, but were willing always to push it back. If, if anybody felt like it's not ready and um, you know, the entire effort is uh, in those situations is risk mitigation, right? Making sure that you don't lose what you have. Um, and if, you know, if you're an organization and you're not willing to push back your launch date a day, a week, not asking, you know, rarely asking for it to be pushed back a quarter, uh, or a month or anything significant, but you gotta be willing, um, you know, in some regards, if your team is not, is saying this is not ready, not ready, big risk to, Mm -hmm. to push it back. And a lot of times it's out of, you know, marketing or SEOs hands and, um, you know, certainly there are probably things that you or that I or anybody that's in that situation could have probably done ahead of time. But there is a point where, you know, I've been in situations where they just choose not to, to listen and go forward anyways.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And sometimes it's the, OK, the, the conference is this date. We got to launch regardless or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, uh, Right now we, we do a lot to develop web charters ahead of time. And so it kind of spells out. Here are the things we agreed to here are the things we agreed was out of scope and having those discussions early and upfront. So when things do change, you can um, uh, you can say, well here's what here's what's going to have to come out or here's what we're gonna have to sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so really quickly, greatest success and then we'll jump into the, the core topic.
2: I'm going to go with a recent success. It was minor, but it kind of represents a lot that I stand for. Uh, I was in a meeting and someone sent me an email with a UTM question. And then she wrote me back a few minutes later and said, oh, never mind. I used your worksheet and uh, I, I took care of it for the client. And I just felt a moment of, of pride because someone had used the tool, then come to my training and and, and it worked as advertised and it seems small, but not using it can mean a whole campaign. If you don't use it, I mean can can mean a whole campaign wasn't measured or, or other trouble. So just knowing that, oh, okay, it's not all up to me. We can teach other people and empower them. And that makes everyone's lives easier.
0: Think at how much time you saved with that. like. Yep. you know, down the line, that's, that's an amazing amount of time just by creating a repeatable reusable asset uh, in training.
2: Right. And they, and the Google documentation and examples are just horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are. <laughs> cool. Jeff, you want to move into
1: core episode yeah. topic? Definitely. So, uh, Mark, you, you work for some nonprofits and, and it's interesting because I've, where I've worked in e-commerce I've worked in almost every like industry that there has been um and, and i I know once in a while at an agency we would get like a nonprofit and that was the first question have you ever worked with nonprofits and I never did <laughs> so um and and that's one of the and they would they took that very seriously right and, and I don't think we won a ton of nonprofit work on, off of that type of stuff um so I, what makes nonprofit different than any other kind of, I guess it's not an industry, but any like vertical um, when it comes into like business uh, in the SEO side of things or analytics?
2: Well, uh, first to the kind of level set is people have different ideas of a nonprofit. So there's a full range of them. So there's everything from the the local um, downtown homeless shelter, or Feed the Homeless or something like that. That might be a ragtag organization with a couple of people begging begging for money. And then you've got everything to national organizations with state or local chapters, international organizations, foundations, membership organizations. So first you kind of have to figure out who you're dealing with. So is it a tiny operation with no resources? Is it a huge one with tons of offices is it maybe a small one but it's got a a grant so the funding makes a big difference and try to understand what's going on there and then a lot of times they might not be focused on profits but there can be a focus on money so are they funded or is it donation funded and is that going to be the focus of the website or is it going to be something else is it member supported so members pay dues and there may be some other revenue sources but is the goal to get more members to to sign up do they offer continuing education credits a lot of industries have that for their associations so there's not just um, one size fits all you can be dealing with you can be dealing with anything from um, you know, the local one to humane you know, to a um a r p or something like that mm-hmm. So there's a big difference there. And then the level of sophistication, that can vary greatly too. A lot of times people will be focused on the mission and they need help with the business and analytics side, but not always, it depends. Some associations or nonprofits will have large marketing departments, some don't. So you kind of have to get a lay of of the land of what the sophistication is and then what they're after. And then there's also a board and sometimes they're very involved, sometimes less so, but it's also you trying to get an understanding of is the board driving this or not. And sometimes if you need changes made, if you can connect with someone on the board, a lot of times they can free up resources or make something happen. But you've got some different dynamics than just an e-commerce where maybe it's the shareholders or just hitting the average you know, basket size. And then you, oh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, but you'll still have conversions. Well, a lot of times they won't, but they should have conversions. But that might be you signing up members, donations, newsletters, if it's an advocacy organization or the advocacy wing, or their petitions or trying to get people to sign up for email. So there's definitely things you can measure. And there are definitely things you can put dollar values to. Now, some associations or nonprofits will go, Well, wait a minute. I, I keep a dollar values, but that's what you have to work with in, in Google Analytics, which is what they're usually using. So sometimes I'll say, Well, let's just call them points. And I wish you could almost edit it. I wish you could edit it in Google Analytics. But sometimes just saying, Well, we'll call them points works. Yeah. Or I'll say, Well, this is just for starters, but you really need that value to be able to see if your channels yeah. are working, including organic. So sometimes it's talking them through that and just say, "Well, I'm just trying to show relative value. So what's better, signing up for text messages or or an email?" And they might say they're both valuable and say, "Well, would you rather have ten of one or one of the other?" And then eventually you can figure out the ratio.
1: I guess that's all also depends who runs those departments, too, right?
2: <laughs> yep, that can make. <laughs> if a big... I was at
1: the email department, I'd be like, "We're number one." Nah.
2: Right, right. <laughs> and trying to get a sense of yeah, what what makes a difference. And who they're trying to reach and there's not always there's not always clarity on that
1: yeah so are there any like legal um like restrictions or or when mm-hmm. you're thinking about seo compared like oh, we'll go back to thinking you're i think Geek. you're coming up with cool ideas for like um april fool's day things like that like when you get into the nonprofit sector uh I, i've worked in pharmaceuticals and i knew it was like kind of like tie both your hands behind your back and you know and then wait six months for the FDA to look at something um, like in the nonprofit areas. There, is there like, is there any like restrictions or anything like that where um, you know, you can't put stuff up unless there's some organization that looks at it or if the lawyers got to look at it first um, or is it more just like a regular business? That's just, you know, not making profits.
2: There's a variety of things to, to consider. And some of it depends on the legal department of, a nonprofit or association. But whereas with e commerce, you might just slap up your free shipping offer on every page. If it's a trade association with a foundation and an advocacy wing, and oftentimes they have a for profit subsidiary for member benefits, and they may make some revenue from there, you can't just slap up an alert everywhere. So the foundation. Uh, oftentimes can't have the advocacy um, call. So they may need to have separation from the political part, from the, from the, um, if it's a research foundation or something like that. So those are some things to consider. On the member benefits side, there may be a challenge with the, the benefits are often done through a for-profit subsidiary so they can they can execute those benefit offers. But there may be a question of if you're running site-wide ads, how do you divide up that revenue? And can it appear on all the pages or only on certain pages? And even if legally you can put it on all of them, tax-wise it might be too complicated to do that. So that's something you need to talk to management about. Of Do they have a legal or an accounting decision on that? And which way they want to go? When it comes to the member benefits being offered by the association, then there's a lot of them offer discounts on insurance. So there's certain things. What can you say about the benefit and how you word that? And that's going to differ by both the insurance company and the association of what they're comfortable with and then legally what they can say. So there's definitely some things to to try to balance out there and make sure you know to ask ahead of time. Before you just do a blanket offer or blanket announcement across the board, or run a widget on every page, it's interesting. What well, What are some of the more important
0: aspects of doing SEO and even analytics for an, a, a nonprofit? Well, you know, what types of work are you t- traditionally dealing dealing with when you're when you're working along
2: those lines? there are only so many letters to go around and there's a lot of acronyms. So if you think of American Association of blank or Society for blank, um, a lot of times you just have initials that, um, same acronym used by multiple organizations. So you need to look and see, oh, okay, is, is this a recognized entity? Does Google know the difference between my organization In this other one, and there's a lot of similar, similar names. So they might be the same acronym, but different, different industries or causes, or it might be same cause, but multiple organizations with very similar names. So that's a good thing to look at to figure out, oh, okay, is Google clear on what the distinctions are? Because if they're not, then you've got some, some work to do, uh, to do there. So that's a big thing to look at. And then also, is the organization clear about who they're trying to reach and what they want people to do on the site? So it might be clear that they care about animals or the environment or whatever, but who are they trying to reach and what do they want them to do to do on the site? And then is there a call to action and is that being measured? Because we can give them all the organic traffic in the world, but if we don't know, if those visitors are doing what they want them to do then it doesn't really matter
0: and do you find and i'm sorry jeff i totally interrupted your section but i was just curious do you find that nonprofits are uh, more sophisticated less sophisticated or as sophisticated as i guess regu- regular clients i would i would say or regular organizations
2: it varies and I don't want to insult any clients.
0: And, yeah, and that wasn't coming from a place of like insulting or anything. It's just yeah, I am, right. I've never worked with honest, so I don't know.
2: I think we took the yeah. average nonprofit or association, probably less sophisticated, but they're usually well aware that they want to get better. So yeah. that makes a big difference. But the a lot of times, if resources are limited, then then they're working on serving people or fighting for the cause and not always time to do, to do some of the other things. And a lot of times other associations or consultants have kind of come and gone. So you can you might see layers of pixels that were once tracked and then someone, someone moved on. But, you know, in my agency, we've got a lot of experience so we can come to the table with, um, and we can get them on the right track. I've done so many Google Tag Manager implementations. Even now I've got my own JSON file. So at least I'm starting from, okay, here's a lot of things they may need. And then I can just pull out pull out the things they they don't. So we can try to get them up to up to speed faster. Yeah.
1: The Page 2 podcast is like a not-for-profit. But we're like negative profit because we just lose money. Let's get it. You're not okay,
0: alone. was a bad joke. <laughs> budget, budget of negative zero. Yeah, we're just that's giving away right? a lot of shit this uh, this season, uh, yeah. and we are definitely well, it's operating. Good. It's coming out of Jeff and I's Jeff and I's pocket for for sure. But we love doing it. It's fun. Great. Well,
2: when, no, when's the sponsor coming on?
0: Oh, that's... You, that. That's actually a that's actually a good question. That's been more of a behind the scenes uh, and Amanda Jordan, who is definitely you know one of the one of the leaders uh, within the organization uh, working on that. but that it's been more of an informal informal thing, but uh, certainly I would love to to hook up uh, you know more more people from United Search to actually uh, actually coming on. So been a little bit more more of an informal relationship for sure. Right.
2: I'm you know, sure you'll good. get there. And you need to spend money to, to make money. And that's true for nonprofits too. Sometimes you have to invest in, in tracking or SEO or Mm -hmm. paid search to reach who you want to reach and to make the difference that, that you're there to do.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, so let's get into the, uh, to the age related topic. And then we will, we've got a crap ton of Twitter questions. We, we got a lot this week, man. People, people Mark or Mark, they, uh, people want to know what you think about a lot of, a lot of different things, but I think the, the age related topic is, uh, definitely something worth discussing. So I'll let you yeah, take that away. It's
1: something I'm interested in because I'm leaning up into that world now, you know, I mean, I know I look like I'm only like 27, but Baby face, <laughs> I, Jeff, baby I, was, face. I was building websites in 95. So I've been around a little bit. Um, so uh, what kind of biases have you seen in relating to age in search industry or, or any of your industries, I guess going through, but I guess currently in search.
2: Well, let's see. The older I get, uh, the wiser I get maybe. But do you have to be old to be wise? No, you don't. Mm. Uh, well, let me tell you straight. I'm going to get back to Jenny Reddish. So... Yeah, I was young. The first time I met her at Freddie Mac. And I'm ashamed to admit, I was like, Well, who's who's this old lady who came? And now I look back and she wasn't much older than than I am now. I'm reminded of Harrison Ford on the set of the, the first of the newest trilogies when he realized I'm the same age that Alec Guinness was when in the first Star Wars when I thought he was this old guy. Um, so it happens and I've been guilty of it. I remember being at a meetup and kind of milling around, trying to figure out who I was going to talk to. And I saw this one guy, probably my age, and I was like, well, I don't know if I can talk to him. Maybe he's just looking for a job. Who knows what he's going to know? And I'm like, holy cow, wait a minute. That's I wouldn't want someone to think that about me, which I mean, I'm sure they were. So I ended up, we ended up having a good conversation and, and shared some good insights. But even, uh, I'm 52, even as an older person, I can I can be guilty guilty of the same thing. And most people think I'm a little older. So I think in my job search, when I was looking for a job, that didn't always help. But once I became a consultant, freelance consultant, then it probably worked in my favor because people would say, oh, well, I'm sure you've seen this at a bunch of sites, sir. Tell me about this or that. And is that fair to a young person coming in? And a young person might think, oh, wow, this older white guy, he's got all the advantages in the world. Meanwhile, I'm walking into a network event as the oldest person wondering, do I even do I even belong here? So I think we all need some understanding and to realize age doesn't mean you don't know anything. And age doesn't mean you know a whole bunch because we've all seen people in both situations. And I look at the, the younger crop of SEOs coming up and the great tools and energy they're bringing and and it's exciting, and you're like, "Wow, well, where have they been?" And well, they're they're now on the scene, and I think that's going to up everyone's game. And we can't just dismiss them because they're because they're young. And if we've been doing it for a while, SEO has changed so much. You can't just pull out the old tricks that worked. You need to you need to stay stay on guard. So I'm hoping it's a situation where everyone can learn and we can appreciate and show some more respect and earn the respect.
1: Yeah. The only thing I have is like old stories from like, oh, when I first started in this, and, and that's the only thing I have on the younger gr- the group. I think the younger SEOs are ones that have actually really pushed me or given me imposter syndrome. Like I've never even thought about that before, but now I see some of these kids just know so much. And, and by kids, I'm not meaning like, I'm. I'll say like, millennials or like 35 and under, but they totally like they're crushing it. They have so much drive, um, you know, and, and things like that, where I feel that, um, you know, as I get older, sometimes I I feel that I, like, I I wish I had some of that energy and drive that Mm -hmm. they had. So I, I definitely feel that they're, they're going, you know, at me and, and they're coming for my job. That's, that's literally not figuratively, like they're saying it, but they're, they're, they're coming up there. And it's like, I, I, a lot of times we have a great relationship with them. Um, But at the same time, I do feel as I get older, like I feel a little less secure in some of that. And, and, um, you know, wanting to, you know, it's it's why this is a good topic for me. I feel that it's like, I've been in this for a little while and, um, you know, where I still want to figure out what I want to do when I grow up, right?
2: (laughs) Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think someone listening to this podcast might be like, wow, the New York Times SEO guys concerned. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's just, you know, there's just different perspectives, but yeah, I felt that too. I was just days from turning 50 when I joined GMMB and I was wondering if I was washed up and needed to do, to do something else and then got the offer to, yeah, there's a two week engagement or something with, with GMMB. And then, um, yeah, then we realized we really, we really clicked. And I think initially they were looking for a more junior position, but they realized I had a lot of experience being on the other side of the conversations where I was hiring the, hiring the agency. So it could bring that perspective, but it's, um, it's definitely real, but I think we need to think about, we each bring something unique to the table and where can we be, Inspired and realize, well, I don't have to do, I can't do everything. And there's more and more types of SEO and, and technology. So let's be kind of aware of it. But where did the strengths I bring and where can I find that intersection of what I know and the experience I've got and where my interest is. And I can't duplicate what someone else does, but I can bring some, some perspectives. And it's sort of the lesson of diversity where we need different, perspectives yes. and including old and young mm-hmm. and learning that millennials are approaching middle age, so it shouldn't be shorthand for a 20-something. And not to laugh and say, oh, you're so young. Ha ha ha. I've got shirts older than you, even though I do. Because they they don't appreciate that. And they feel the same way, you know, we may feel when they're like, oh, You've probably never okay, boomer. You've never heard of that, so let's let's be respectful. Let's learn. Realize we can learn from other people, and not just sit on our laurels. Be inspired and not not threatened.
0: Yeah, I think um, uh, Amanda Jordan, the way she put it a few episodes ago, for me, because I, I feel like I'm kind of sitting right in the in the middle. Um, so I'm 38 about to turn 39. So I'm not a young buck anymore. Uh, but I'm, I'm right. feel like I'm right getting to the top of the Hill maybe, or, you know, how they say like you're over the Hill. I, and maybe the, the Hill is 40, maybe it's 50. I, I really don't know, but I'm starting to feel like, um, you know, I'm not the young guy in the room any anymore, but I'm not necessarily the old guy either. So I feel like right as of now, I'm kind of sitting right, right in the middle. Uh, But Amanda said it really well that um, years of experience is not an indication of quality, but it's also not uh, an indicate it's years of inexperience is also not necessarily an indication of quality. And somebody who has one or two years of experience may be Really, really, really awesome, uh, and somebody that has fifteen or twenty years in the industry may be awesome, or they may suck. Um, I've run into people that ha- that were well known and had a lot of experience, and they were not good. Uh, and then I've worked with people that were fresh to the industry that were amazing uh, and you're really good. Some not so good, uh, and I feel like you know there's a little bit of a little bit of both. And I, I think it's on everybody to be respectful, treat people like you want to be treated. Uh, and honestly, one of the things that I think uh, just as human beings, that is probably the hardest skill to master because we're all in our own little worlds is empathy um, and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes. Empathy is really, really hard. Uh, and I think I feel like I'm, my wife is much better at empathy than I am. I think I'm okay at it. Uh, but even, you know, someone that feels like they're okay at it, like I fully realize that there are a lot of times where I don't have enough empathy for for people. And I think that there are a lot of people out there like that. Uh, and I think what this sort of a situation calls for is having empathy uh, for for people uh and respecting people for sure. No matter what their what their age is and respecting them for who they are and what they bring to the table. But I sit in the middle, so I don't know what it's you know, I, I know what it's like to be young. I don't know what it's like to, you know, to come in and, and be the, you know, be the oldest person in the room just yet. So
1: I don't know. It's harder to touch your toes. <laughs>
0: You're right. Uh, it is getting harder. So, yeah, totally. Well, I can
2: remember as a volunteer, often being the, the youngest person in the room. So I, I need to, to remember that more. But I think a lot of the conversations that have come up in 2020 uh, just help us yeah. try to broaden our, our perspectives and understand, well, well one, the world's changing. And yes. two, it should have changed sooner. And three, what it's up to, especially those of us who are older, to stop and listen and learn and try to appreciate others' perspectives and, and what's going on. So not always easy, but yeah, but important to do. Yeah, Bye, on yeah TikTok. absolutely.
1: I got to learn what the younger generation's
2: doing. <laughs> I've got three teenagers, so it helps to have uh, yeah. some of the l- lingo translated and and uh, what some of the memes are. So I was telling, well, <laughs> you keep me young because at least I know some of what's going on. Oh my goodness! So why
0: don't we uh, why don't we move into the uh, the the Twitter questions? Uh, yeah, so. Last segment. And we have a ton of Twitter questions this week, more so than uh, more so than normal. Now, usually we get like three, four. Uh, this week, we have one, two, three, four, five, six Twitter questions. So sure. good, good work, uh, Mark, for priming the pump and good work. Page two uh, podcast listeners. Yes, they're all fantastic questions. I don't know if we can answer them all quickly, but we're going to try. Um, and just a reminder, the winner uh, who will be chosen by Mark, no pressure, Mark is gonna get a page two podcast t-shirt. Uh, we just gave away a hoodie. we're giving away tea. We're giving away all kinds of all kinds of stuff this uh, this season. Uh, and the only thing that we ask uh, hasn't necessarily been been happening organically. So we are going to ask, we're not going to require, but anybody that happens to win, just take a take a picture and tag us. Uh, on Twitter. We'd be much obliged. We would love to see uh, the people uh, wearing our merch. (laughs) All right, so let's uh, let's jump in. So our first question from Janet Bartoli uh, at Janet Bartoli uh, on Twitter. Uh, she is also a Page Two podcast alum. Uh, nice to nice to have uh, one of those back and asking que- or one of our alums back and asking questions. So, uh, Mark, so what is the number one nonprofit specific SEO challenge you see time and time again, and what are one or two quick wins? Uh, what one or two quick wins move the needle the fastest, if any, you'd offer them.
2: Okay, I'd say what I say a lot is a site not knowing who they're for and what they want people to do and then how to measure that action. So it's not enough to say, well I want you to be concerned about issue X, you need to move them to do something. Sign up for your email, fill out a petition Notify Congress. Take a video with a hashtag, something like that. Um, a couple of quick things they can do is claim their knowledge panel if they're not sure. Um, if they're an entity or have one, you know, Google yourself, and I think it's Carl Hendy or CaliCube. Those sites have a little entity lookup, so see if Google knows who you are. You kind of have to do that first, and then um, if they don't. Then you need to work on kind of building out your your presence and and help Google figure out who you are and what you want to do so that you can show up in searches.
0: And our second- and set up analy- oh. and
2: analytics is part of that part of that measurement. Definitely need specific goals so you can see is your site doing the thing it is that you want it to do.
0: Excellent. Um, good answer. So our second question is from Joseph Clem, at Joseph Clem on Twitter. Uh, and he writes, I know part of SEO is looking at your competitors' sites and how they rank for various keywords. Since nonprofits and government agencies don't have competitors per se, what would be their
2: equivalent? And okay. I think well, he's
0: meaning, yeah, the equ- equivalent of competitor sites and keywords.
2: Nonprofits do have Competitors, as it turns out, and it's interesting. A lot of times, the organizations they're concerned about are different than the organizations that they're competing on keywords for. But usually, they'll they'll be um, there will be three organizations or something like that, where they're like, "Oh yeah, we're we're worried about what they're doing," that either overlap in some way, if not actually direct competitors. So I usually ask. Uh, there's an intake form trying to get more and more use out of. And it's usually what are the what are the other groups that you're concerned about? And with government agencies, sometimes it's other government agencies. Sometimes it's nonprofits or other groups that are doing something similar. Or sometimes their competitor is just time and attention. But a lot of times there's overlap with, with other departments doing something similar. And they're trying to get a message out. And their message might have a nuance or something else, but they definitely see some competitors if you're working with a nonprofit. Ask them who they see them as and then look in your keyword tool or see who else is showing up in the results and see if those match. Have a have a discussion about those. Excellent question
0: number three, and Catherine. I'm gonna sincerely apologize if I mispronounce your name. I'm almost positive that I'm going to because Catherine
2: Watier Ong.
0: Oh man, see, that's how I was gonna pronounce it. So oh, I, right. I stole it's, it. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's good. Uh, it sounds a. Uh, it's very. It almost sounds like French. Very sophisticated. So, uh, Catherine. Uh, so uh, at K Watier. So Catherine Watier Ong asks, how do you motivate your NGO and .gov clients to take action on your SEO recommendations since they are not driven by sales? Do you help them set KPIs? Are you usually the first SEO they've worked with? How does that impact your work?
2: Okay, so I know Catherine from the local DC meetup scene. Uh, There's an SEO meetup that she ran for a number of years, and she's brilliant. Knows all about voice search, so she might be a good, good person to have on the show. But to answer her question, a lot of times if nonprofits are coming to us, they're seeking out, seeking out help. So it's not always a problem to get them at least interested. Sometimes it's a challenge to get them to, to, um, to do the work. But um, what they can be driven by is, is outcomes. In helping them to measure these outcomes, I think that's how we get them to to get motivated. We worked with one of the state health exchanges, from the Obamacare health exchange, and built a Data Studio dashboard to try to show them. Oh, okay. Here's how many people are signing up for info. Here's how many people are doing the different tasks that they thought were important. So now they have a dashboard they can see any time on their own and which channels, what's organic driving which what's working, who's driving the most email signups. So so they can see that in real time without waiting for a monthly report. So that's a great way to get them interested. And for some clients, Data Studio has a, a very high perceived value. For years, I was waiting for agencies to give us the monthly report. So you might know how that goes. So... End of the month, well, we are going to wait a couple of days into the month for all the SEO data to come in. Then they've got to prepare it. Then we've got to wait a few more days for the meeting to walk through it. Data Studio, you can see that up front. Now you still need to talk about the analysis and that part, but at least they can see what's what's going on. And once you find out who's interested in the numbers within the nonprofit, that's a great way to keep them engaged. Sometimes too engaged, but usually I think more, more knowledge is power.
0: Absolutely. Um, It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, There are times, admittedly, where like the month has been over and it's three weeks later and we're reporting on the last the last month. That is that that is very real. Um, okay, so uh, next question comes from Ryan Charles. Uh, Ryan, I love your Twitter handle, so it's at random Ryan. Very funny. Uh, Mark's involvement with the SEO in the DMV meetup helped me learn a lot about SEO. Has Mark been involved in other organizations? If so, are they digital? Because I know folks outside the DMV would love to connect.
2: Well, I've started appearing on podcasts as a way to reach out. No way. Uh, <laughs> what. Um, you know, well, it reminds me, we should probably get the, the DC SEO meetup going virtually. But yeah. I've wondered if there should be maybe a page two podcast community <laughs> where guests answer questions or something like that. <laughs> Damn um, it, Mark. You just gave me more work. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you get those, that's a great idea. Once you get those yeah. big paying sponsors, you know, they'll, they'll cover the bandwidth. Um, but yeah, yeah, Ryan presented, I think he used to be at Marriott. And um, he's worked in a bunch of different verticals. I participated. Um, there's a measure Slack chat, which is tangential to to SEO, but that one I found interesting, and people have great questions, and there's good advice. The SEO, the SEO ones, like I've looked at some Reddit groups, and started with r slash uh, SEO. And there's there are a lot of basic questions people have to start somewhere, and then there's a couple of others, and then um, I haven't found tech a good tech SEO. Yep, tech, oh, yeah, that's my group. That's your <laughs> group. Um, yeah. So maybe I should hang out. Maybe I should hang out there. Come to our tech SEO. Um, I follow it. I pop in, pop in sometimes. Maybe maybe I should hop in some more. So Ryan, our tech SEO is is where it's at. <laughs> and I
1: also I've been working on starting um so if you go to atlseo.org it's for Atlanta SEOs so something like you just did for or with the DC industry um we, mm-hmm. when I used to live in Philadelphia we used to have SEO Grail which was great and I loved it but I moved to Atlanta and Atlanta's SEO kind of um community is very Atlanta itself is very like wide spread out and, and it could take mm-hmm. like an hour to go from one side to the other so it's during traffic times, right? Like, it's it's not really super big, but it, it, when it comes to traffic, um, Atlanta's like 10 times bigger. Uh, so I, I, right now it's just a Slack channel. So if anyone wants to mm-hmm. join that, but w- like we're planning on once COVID kind of, you know, it's never, I don't think it's ever going to go away, but once it's under control and we can get like meetups back up, I'll be doing a Atlanta SEO meetup. So Atlanta or atlseo.org, if you want to sign up for there, if you're in the Atlanta area.
2: Oh, great. There used to be, on all places, Google Plus, Ashley Berman Hale used to run a technical yeah, SEO Rally. group and um, on Google and, and you had to get qualified to get pre-qualified to get in. So it kept out a lot of the spammers, but there would be such great technical SEO questions. I learned a lot because I'd be like, all right, how would I handle this one? Then you could see what yeah. what people- And, people and she did. started
1: the Raleigh SEO meetups too. So she, she's definitely been instrumental in, mm-hmm. in growing a lot of groups.
0: Something, something in the water down in down in Raleigh. At least thirty of our guests, I feel like, have been from Raleigh. Right, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, all right, next question from another Page Two Podcast alum, Kelly Stancy at Kelly Stancy on Twitter. I firmly believe that our industry's inherent connection to information mean we often soak up news more, and that I can con- and and that can contribute to burnout. How? Uh, Looks like there's a typo, and I think she even mentioned that. So, sorry, Kelly. I'm I'm trying not to read this like you wrote it, but I unfortunately am. So, how do you develop a habit of sharing good when working in a digital space means constant exposure to news that could be negative? And I'm just going to add this little part, especially this week. Damn it.
2: (laughs) All right. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Right. Well, this podcast perked me up. So, I'm in Arlington, Virginia, just a few miles down the road from – from the Capitol. and uh, so it was great to having these questions come in and give me something else to think about. So, how do we deal with negativity online? It's a tough one because I'm thinking, uh, Jacob. Even your good news about becoming director, someone might say, "Oh, he became one. Why am I not a director yet?" Yeah, and I felt that way till recently when I realized, you know, I don't want my boss's job. Um, so, even good news can be taken the wrong way. But I think if doom scrolling is a problem, say on Twitter, but you want to keep informed, there's some good newsletter roundups that can keep you informed without the negativity. So, Latest Solace has one. I have to make sure I say this right. It was the FOMO one, right? FOMO. Zero, FOMO. Fear of missing out. FOMO. I always afraid to say that one the wrong way. But that one, I go through it a lot. To, I still do scroll on Twitter, but a lot of times I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that one. Seen one. And then there'll be one, oh, I missed that one. So that's a good way if you want to just be removed from Twitter, but you still want to get the news. That's that's a great way to r- roll it up. And even if you're following, I find a new one. And there's this email newsletter um, for the interested that gives tips about marketing, content, different things. And they say for a newsletter, all your items don't have to be new to the person. You just have to have one Good one each week that resonates with them. So for, um, for SEO FOMO, that resonates with me. There's some other ways to, there's a tool, Nuzzle, and use EZEL, and it's called Twitter Without the People. So it just rolls up the most frequently shared links from the people you follow. And at least a few years ago, you used to be able to have a lot of good articles. It still gets really political, but you get away from at least some of the bashing and you just see, oh, five of my friends shared this link. Uh, maybe this is an article I should check out. I like SparkToro trending. So that rolls up what the marketing, but particularly the SEO world is, is sharing uh, the most online. And you can kind of filter through and just say, oh, okay, here's an article I wanna check out. And then you have the option to pull up what the Twitter discussion was about it, or you can just jump into the article And this shows you the importance of good titles because sometimes it's just something so cryptic. You're like, what is this? (laughs) Um, But that's one way to get out of it, get away from the negativity. And then we probably need to come up with some SEO way to do something. I was thinking, Oh, like some Friday SEO cuteness. And then I started thinking, well, if it's SEOs, it's going to get spammed. And then if I know male SEOs, then they're going to start dropping in people's headshots or something like that. So I don't know if I have the whole answer. There's a couple of tools I suggested if if you want to do it without Twitter um, and then Twitter lists. Um, there are, uh, let's see, uh, Rich, I'm blanking his last name. He's got a couple of Twitter lists if you just want to follow a list of SEOs to to kind of see what's going on and try to get away from the negativity. But we probably owe it to to our friends in the community to... Try to seek out and like the cute stuff. We might see a cute thing and just roll by, but can we like it, reply to it, share it, feed the algorithm so some more of our our friends and associates see the good in the world and maybe let people know they're doing good things. Kelly does a great job of of showing, you know, her cute kid, she -hmm. takes care of all these hopeless animals that people would have forgotten about. You have three-legged gerbils and things <laughs> like that. But she's like, I'm going to see this she thing does. through to a good life. And then that's a spark of joy. And even when she's having a hard time, she puts it out there. So, so, you know, it, we're not alone. So she's a great model follower. She's a great model for showing the good and the bad, but in a positive, in a positive way and being true, true to herself.
0: So, um, I, Oh, man. Yeah, this 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 has been a tough one for me, especially especially this week. And I I don't want to like take over the take over uh, Mark's answers. But quite honestly, like, of course, we all need to be tapped into information. Uh, And Jeff, I don't know, like how you feel about it. But like there have been times this week was one of them where, you know, SEO Twitter is where I get a lot of my interaction with the SEO community uh, in addition to the to the podcast. And it is hard to scroll on Twitter Sometimes it's just this constant barrage of negativity. And for me, my SEO or my Twitter consists of SEO and Cleveland sports. If that's not doom scrolling all the time, I don't know what is. So like, uh, so with the, the, if you're not a Browns, Browns fan uh, uh, you wouldn't know this, but for Browns fans, we made the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. And it's like, yes. I'm a oh, Washington
1: football team fan, so we just made it Yeah, too, so. exactly. So it's <laughs> like, was, yes. It was bad as a history, but.
0: And then our promptly after that, because we can't have nice things, uh, our entire team, including our head coach, is out with COVID, and oh boy, we're playing the Steelers, who regularly beat the shit out of us. So we're in the playoffs, but our whole team is out with COVID. So like, it's been nothing but constant news about that, and people complaining about that, and then, of course, yes, SEO Twitter, which I will say, in my opinion, over the last year, has gotten so much better and so much more positive, but that's not to say that there isn't still like side commentary and subtweeting and drama that goes on. And I, ugh. Uh, and and of course, with what happened in our country this week, which I said I wasn't going to talk about. Um, you know, I, as I was sitting on the couch because I had a small surgery this week and I was told to take it easy, just scrolling through Twitter, and I did it for maybe like ten minutes, and I was like, nope not today Twitter and threw my phone down for the rest of the day. And you have no idea how therapeutic it was. And it's not just, it's not that I don't want to be like tapped into what's going on in the world, but man, there are times where unplugging is mentally healthy uh, and just saying, Nope, close that laptop throw that phone away. And I know it's become like a habit, like a human habit to grab your phone and look at it to the point where we're going to like evolve to, to the point where we're like looking down at our, at our phones. But man, it was so, it felt so good to just throw that phone down and not pick it up again for a day. Um, so I would recommend uh, doing that. And like Mark said, staying positive and sharing the positivity and just trying to be positive i try not to let myself anymore. maybe a younger me a less wise me would have participated more in some of the side commentary and it's not that i don't sometimes i do um but staying out of the drama and just emphasizing the positive and mark i really liked what you said with respect to feeding the algorithm like and retweet really positive and really good stuff like that stuff and retweet it so that twitter keeps serving it up love it all right, sorry, I just had to render my two cents. So our last question and then we'll pick a winner uh, is from Liz who has the best Twitter handle. It's at underscore lizardbird underscore. Uh, so Liz asks, I used to work with Mark and one of the things clients struggled with was balancing brand authenticity with SEO. I'd be curious to know if in your 25 years, what changes have you seen in content strategy, quality or diversity as organizations strive for good SEO?
2: What I've seen over the years is there's a better balance towards what's good for the user. So as Google recognizes entities and can understand how concepts work together, you don't have to always force in language like you may have to Uh, done so years ago. So that's better, but I usually try to live by tie goes to the user. So if you're balancing usability and SEO or something like that, or, or language, when it comes to associations, content marketing, and kind of that brand voice, I think where the struggle is sometimes is which, what language, say, a state agency is willing to use about a sensitive topic versus what the audience is using. So Google will probably try to, Google will figure out okay, this is what they mean, but will it resonate with the audience, especially if you're talking about something like drugs or sexual health or something like that? So I think that our clients can struggle with what's the language I can use. And I see this also with advocacy. So are you using a bill number for a piece of legislation or the bill nickname? Is it jargon or not? And if you're only maybe you're only target, targeting legislative aides on the hill. So yeah, they know the bill number. But if you're trying to get regular people to contact their elected representatives, you might have to use some different different language. And our organizations always comfortable doing that. Well, this is what we call it. Well, is this what your audience calls it? Can we count on Google to figure it out? Probably, but I'm not sure if it's going to resonate. And then I also wonder if the language you use influences the intent matchup. So is, something, is someone looking for this in a scientific way? Or are they looking for casual everyday help that your association might provide, but you're you're only using scientific language? So it, it's a struggle, I think, having to use the, the wrong language on purpose so Google understands, those days are mostly gone, but the resonating part is still a challenge. And that's more in the organizational side of, can you use, are you comfortable using the the terms that people are searching for rather than what you use internally?
0: Excellent. All right. So six questions. Great answer, by the way, Uh, six questions. Uh, So we've got Janet uh, and we spent a lot of time. So Janet and her uh, nonprofit SEO challenges, Joseph with competitor sites and keywords, Catherine's on how to motivate your clients, uh, Ryan on SEO and the DMV meetup group, uh, Kelly uh, with, uh, let's see, co- co- connection to information and positivity uh, and Liz uh, with balancing brand this authenticity. So who do you feel like Mark is worthy of donning a page two podcast t-shirt.
2: I <laughs> uh, see I think I could go with Ryan cuz I, I think he might, he might wear it and I'll give him a hard time on twitter uh if he doesn't
0: all right random nice. ryan you are the proud new owner dun, 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 of a page two podcast shirt. so when this uh interview airs we will be reaching out to you to figure out how to send it your way so super super excited so jeff you want to take us through the end of the episode
1: yeah definitely so we ask all our guests one final question and that is what words of advice would you give to a person that's just getting into seo today
2: record and refine. Let me explain. So record, keep track of what you're learning. And like for example, you're gonna see a lot of, you're gonna read a lot of articles, presentations, things like that. How do you keep track of those? So I, I like to use pocket, cause I can share it from Twitter, from my phone and a browser. And you can put tags, so I can tag it, schema, analytics, whatever. But you need to come up, if you're new to this, come up with a system to kind of record what you're doing and have a way you can go through it. I also like to keep a uh, kind of a running document where I can drop in things like, oh, here's this Excel formula I need. Here's a link to something I just saw, some language I want to use. And I know I can just search it later, but you'll come up with your own system for that. But you need to be able to record it. And then if you're in-house, you probably need to record your wins and be able to share that with your boss and others. Maybe share with the department if they don't know what you do, share with your boss, or come up with some system for recording that. And then refining is you've, you're gonna learn things over time, but what are the some things you can get rid of? What are some things you need to tweak and go back and see, well, what's, what's really working? And then part of that is like building spreadsheets and templates and changing them over time. But so when you're doing an export from SEMrush or HREPS or something like that, it's already got the nice headings you worked out at some time. So those spreadsheets will you'll tweak and you'll change over time. But you need to have some and when you put record and refine together, it's reflect. You need to think of, all right, here's what I've learned, here's what I believe now, here's how I'm setting myself. Um up for success and uh i think i may have oh and then part of that refining is finding finding a way to look at real world restraints so we all learn best practices but we need a way to deal with you've got best practices but what about um worst practicalities so for me, it was going to meetups, talk to real people and saying, oh, I can't just do my best practice because the CMS doesn't support it, or my boss doesn't, or there's just these real world applications um, that where your best practices don't work. So that's another way to refine things. So get out to a meetup or, um, or go to Jeff's Slack or join a community and find out what are What are some ways that you can't just come out and spout a best practice? What are some ways that you can work around when the field isn't there in the CMS, when the support isn't there from the organization, when you're facing an incredible competitor so you need to rank for something else? Find out some ways to make your best practices into actual practices that can work with limitations or work for an agency. You'll see limitations all the time on what what clients can do. So record and refine.
0: Limitations and implementation is every day of my existence in, in SEO. <laughs> uh, so Mark, where can people find you?
2: So when you're doom scrolling, find me on Twitter at Mark Alves, A-L-V-E-S, kind of like elves, but with an A at the front. Uh, that's the best place to find me. I'm there. I'm there a lot and happy to talk to you or we can connect on LinkedIn. And then what's your
0: company's website? Want to make sure we uh, promote that as as well, there
2: are any nonprofits out there. G-M-M-B, so G like Google, and M like Mark, G-M-M-B, like boy.com.
0: Awesome, Uh, so if you're a nonprofit, government organization, do you guys work with uh, other companies besides that, or is that kind of your, your niche?
2: Are our models to cause the effect, so usually mission-based okay. organizations, but their company might have a foundation or something like that. But give us a call if we can't help you. We'll find somebody who can.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or, or hook up with Mark on Twitter uh, if you know, anybody's out there and they're working for a non uh, nonprofit organization, mission-based organization, and they need help with your organic, your analytics, uh, or, or anything else. Uh, definitely reach out to Mark's uh, company GMMB, uh, or reach out to Mark on, on Twitter. And I'm sure he'd be happy to help you. Uh, so Mark, thank you so much for, for coming on and for everybody. Uh, I know you're digging out post holiday. So, um, I hope you had a good week uh, of digging out and you're probably going to be listening to this episode on Monday or Tuesday. So good luck for the week ahead. Uh, hope you can continue to dig out and get your Q1 strategies kind of up and running. But until next time, we've got another great episode uh, coming up coming up next week. Uh, yeah, until next time, we will, we'll see you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Page Two Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket PocketCast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, you can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time... Happy optimizing.